the Trans-Siberian Railway. For nearly 6,000 miles, this marvel of the industrial age snakes its way from Moscow to the Pacific coast. An end-to-end -end ride can take seven days to complete, spanning eight time zones through an ever-changing sea of faces from west to east. Like many places in the world, most of those faces are friendly. But what happens when you run into some that aren't? A few years ago, while backpacking across the globe, today's guest boarded the railway's Cold War-era cars to find out. podcast fans. It's Meredith from the podcast Meredith for Real, The Curious Introvert. I talk with paradoxical people who share unlikely life lessons, like the happily married swingers who give marriage advice, episode 86. If you like personal development and are ready to meet people outside the algorithm, come visit me at Meredith for Real, The Curious Introvert, wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Get Lost podcast. Here's your host, thoughtful writer, Wide-eyed explorer has prettier hair than me, Joe Sills. Welcome back to the Get Lost Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Joe Sills, a freelance journalist for various outlets around the globe. Today's guest is an adventure writer. He's a video producer who was once airlifted out of the Arctic Circle on a Canadian military transport. He's written for almost every outlet under the sun, and some of those companies still like to work with him. <laughs> He's also currently working on an expose about the secret life of butlers. You can find him on Instagram at The Global Trip. His name is Eric Trinidad. Hey, Eric. Hey, how's it going, Joe? It's going good, man. First things first, how's your expose on the secret life of butlers? Um, it's funny, like, I, I will not name where the butlers are because uh, I, thought butlers. It was a cool idea. I thought it was a cool idea to pitch around for the sake of the PR of the resort that that has the butlers because it puts the butlers in a good light in a way that like they'll do whatever you want. Almost. Yeah, almost whatever uh, you want. Almost. Um, but it really shows like how these hardworking like locals from the island will, you know, go the extra mile to kind of uh, do what they can to help out a guest. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I, I was told that like, no, this is going to make Maybe, it, maybe it'll make the butlers look good, but it'll make our guests look really shitty. <laughs> well, actually, given what we know about some of those guests, they are rather shitty. Uh, tell us, uh, give us some butler secrets. Oh, man, you want some butler secrets? Um, well, uh, I interviewed five butlers at this, at this beach resort, and they range everything from... Uh, I mean, I saw this one live where a guy is like going to his room and the butler is going by on a golf cart and he's like, hey, man, like what room am I in? Like because he was wasted or something <laughs> or like he never remembered where he was supposed to go. Yeah. Um, and then like the wildest one I probably heard was from one guy who uh, first was asked if he could videotape his uh, this his clients, this honeymoon couple, I assume. Mm -hmm. uh, having sex. Oh, okay. And then the guy took the took the I guess not video camera, gets the iPhone back, and uh, asked the butler to have sex with his wife so that he could watch. Wait, 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 not, wait, and, wait, and wait, not, wait. And not necessarily videotape it because it would be evidence, right? But that was, I, I guess, it was one of their fantasies or something. So was that the line too far? Because it kind of sounds like he. He was like, I guess I'll hold this iPhone here for you guys. Um, I, I'm, I am not sure that he videotaped it. 
the couple having sex. I know that it declined the the having sex with the wife thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's there you go, everybody. Uh, there are resorts in the Caribbean where you can have your own butler, uh, which I find to be pretty weird. Um, Eric and I were were at an all inclusive, ironically together. Yes, at, we were at a at a, basically a honeymoon resort where everyone but us was on a honeymoon. Yeah. Um, For a story, like we got to sit down there and. Our job is to go scuba diving for a week and like zip line through the rainforest and yes. talk about how exciting it is. But we we were placed at a couple's resort. Yeah, we were we were zip lining while everyone was asking their butlers to videotape them having sex. Yeah, and all <laughs> we could ask them to do was videotape us zip lining. So yeah, yeah. So there you go. Uh, fascinating stuff. I love everything that you get to write about. Um, Briefly tell everybody why you were airlifted out of the Arctic Circle. So I was on back-to-back assignments, um, and that's I guess that's relevant because they're from two you know climates of the world. At first, I was in the tropics. I was in Fiji, and there I was doing a bunch of adventure things. I was spear fishing. I was eel hunting, uh, whitewater rafting. Uh, I might have gotten bitten or like uh some you know stung by fire coral or some sort of coral or i might got some sort of parasite uh while it was eel hunting in like muddy rivers so you got some sort of tropical parasite in fiji yes i don't know bacteria or something but then i guess the way bacteria work they don't really like affect you until a week later or something uh-huh well a week later i'm in the arctic on uh on a uh, adventure Canada cruise, okay. and it started in Greenland, and everything in Greenland was fine. Um, maybe when I was kayaking, I was—I uh, didn't really notice anything happening in my leg because it's all like uh, arm strength. Mm-hmm. And then we cross over the Davis Strait into Canada, and the whole point of this cruise was to go through the Northwest Passage. And when we're at the the most north that I've ever been, which is. Uh, near where the magnetic north pole used to be i know it's shifting but it's 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 up there so you Um, were at the north pole not the not the geographic north pole i was at the at one point was the magnetic north pole which has shifted since okay so the artist formerly known as the magnetic north pole yes yes um i i i use the phrase north pole just to show how how really north i was even though i wasn't actually at the north pole um, and then that's where the, just basically my, my leg just like turned all red and started inflaming and started turning into silly putty. Um, Ugh. yeah, it was like that. Uh, Gross. and then the doctor on the ship, you know, gave me Cipro and nothing was really working. And then everyone on the staff was, you know, kind of, you know, making a hypothesis of what it could be. And it was determined that, like, it didn't even matter what the guess was. Like, I still had to get off the ship. Mm-hmm. So then in the middle of uh, landing, everyone gets called back onto the ship because of an emergency. And I'm, I'm like, what's going on? They're like, you idiot. Like, they're evacuating you off. <laughs> you're the emergency <laughs> stretch, yeah, Armstrong. The so then uh, we have to, like, detour and go uh, three hours out of the way back, back up north because we were already heading south by then. Mm-hmm. Um, not to a clinic to meet with a Coast Guard ship who would, who would uh, cruise the other three hours to the nearest uh, military base in, in Resolute Bay. Right. That's so very, then, very, very far north. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So then uh, I got picked up in a Zodiac from the Coast Guard. I was on a Coast Guard ship for, you know, a couple hours. It was a Quebecois Coast Guard, so everything was in French, <laughs> <laughs> including the staff. And then uh, the staff was I, in French. Yeah, the, the, all the signs were in French. Like, uh, you know, the, the nurse kind of knew some English, but mostly her assistant only knew French. <laughs> um, and then I checked into a clinic at Resolute Bay just to check my vitals before they gave me this uh, military Hercules jet. 
um, which brought me to the nearest hospital, which was still a thousand miles away in, in none of it, in, uh, Iqaluit, the capital of Nunavut. Um, but it was funny le leading up to this point, like there were guys on, on the cruise ship who were saying like, like, uh, I'm asking them, what's the likely scenario? They're like, well, you, you'll probably end up in Resolute and you'll, you'll ride a Herc. And they got really excited about me getting my own Herc. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, it's a huge that? aircraft. Yeah. They're like, you know, like when Tom Cruise or like anyone jumps off a ship in a movie and the floor comes out, yeah. like, that's a Herc. I'm like, oh, awesome. It's like, and you got one of those for yourself. That's <laughs> so I'm like, all right, cool. You always have to have the private tour, don't you, Eric? Yes. And it's funny because this, uh, this uh, tour company required insurance and they said you can't get first tier insurance because that only covers half a million. If, you, if anyone ever needed to be evacuated off the ship, it costs at least a million dollars. You have to get second tier insurance. Wow. So that second tier insurance uh, kicked in and I probably blew like a million dollars. Or my insurance company paid a million dollars to get me to the nearest hospital because of some parasite that you picked up in Fiji that you decided yes. to take to the Arctic Circle. Yes, which was which unrelated to uh, anything that could have happened there, or or not. Like in the end, uh, some people concluded that maybe I got a staph infection in the uh, in the hot tub that was on the ship, which was uh, questionable. It was just like ocean water with uh, some chlorine. Um, yeah, I think that's defend. it, man. Yeah, that's gross. Yeah. Well, they'll defend that. Like we, ha they sent me the reports of all the chlorine levels uh, at the time that I was in the hot tub, and they they were they were fine. But then I've also heard reports that people have gotten staffed, like even in a clean pool. That's disgusting. But the reason I bring all of that up, Eric, is because I want the <laughs> listeners to get a picture of what your life is like. Um, to me, <laughs> it's a series of ridiculous events that have just been back to back yeah. to back for like a decade. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Now that Eric has been rescued from the Arctic Circle, we can get into our real story today about the Trans-Siberian Railroad. But before we do that, I want to talk to you guys about the show. When I started the Get Lost podcast in 2019, the idea was to tell true stories of travel and adventure that are a tough sell to editors in the world of travel writing. I wanted to go beyond listicles, the top 10s and the top 20s, to talk to you guys about what it's really like to leave it all behind and get lost, whether you're doing that for a week in the Caribbean or a couple of years all over the planet. Today we've got listeners around the globe and I'm honestly blown away by the response, but I still need your help to keep going. With more than a million podcasts on the planet, it's tough to keep momentum on the charts. That's why I'm asking you guys to reach out and leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast platform and to follow us on social media for updates on the latest episodes. It only takes a couple of seconds to help keep the show going. And most of all, it's free. Now, back to Eric. <laughs> so with that in mind... Will you do us a solid and take us on a journey in our minds to the Trans-Siberian Railroad? Okay, so this is, man, this is when I was a young lad as a backpacker. Um, I did this round-the-world trip for about a year and a half, um, basically hitting all the hotspots that I've always heard about. Mm -hmm. And I was always jealous of... Uh, Aussies and Brits who always, you know, it's part of the culture to take a gap year. And I'm like, why don't Americans have that? Because we got to work, decided, man. We have to work. And also, if you're going to do a gap year, you kind of have to do it on your own. Mm -hmm. um, so I basically did a gap year and a half. Um, and part of this journey was to do the dream trip of taking the Trans-Siberian Railway between Moscow and Beijing. Okay, so explain to me this. There's a railroad, for people that don't know, a railroad that goes from Moscow to Beijing. Give us yeah. some perspective on how far that actually is. Uh, I think it spans eight time zones, although it's really confusing because all of them run on whatever time it is in Moscow, even if you're on the other end. 
So it doesn't um, even matter, even though you're in eight time zones. Yes, it's either six or eight, but it's you know it's it's more than the four that we have in the states. So I was looking uh, up the distance of this, and it looks like the Trans-Siberian Railway is like more than twice the length of New York to LA. That sounds about right. It's uh, if I did the train ride continuously, I think it's uh, a non-stop seven-hour day. Like you don't even if, it, if if it's running at full speed. Um, I did not do the, the full seven hour thing um, because there's only limited seats if you're going to do the entire thing in, in one shot. Okay. Um, it's easier to just break it up by leg because it's basically the commuter rail between cities of Siberia. Right. Um, so, so you're out in the field and you're a backpacker. You're yeah. chasing your dream. You're doing this on a budget. Where do you start at and what's the goal? I'm in... Well, I know I knew... I was eventually going to end up in Asia on this like round the world trip. I'm in the end of my my European travels, so I, I basically, um, long story short, I did four and a half months in South America. I flew from Buenos Aires to Cape Town. I went over land through Africa because I got mugged in Cape Town. That's a whole other story. Getting mugged in Cape Town like made me miss like three flights. So then I just ended up going like on public transportation anyway. Wait, so did you lose all your stuff or you just had to like give up the money you had? I had to give up the money and the camera that I had. Oh, it's always the camera. But fortunately, I, I have was I literally like an hour before it was taken for me. Like I just backed up all my photos. OK, so really not as bad as it could have been. Yeah. The only reason why I missed those flights is because I had to stay in town to wait for my uh, credit card replacement. That makes sense. So you're okay. You're just like, damn, that was horrific. But now I'm out of Cape Town. Everything's going to be cool now. Then I'm going to Russia. What yeah. could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Well, then, uh, then I took the ferry from like Morocco into Europe. I zipped around Europe for a while, and then I flew to Moscow to start the Trans-Siberian journey because mm-hmm. um, I knew I would continue my travels in Asia. Um, so in your mind, the Trans-Siberian journey, like, what was that going to be like? Was it supposed to be? Well, it's funny. Like, you always think of Siberia as, you know, this desolate, like, snow, uh, snow-filled place. But when you go in the summer, it's actually pretty green. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's just, like, uh, boreal forests. And, uh, I mean, on one of the stops, I went uh, kayaking, um, some, some good hiking, like... Uh, and the little towns are very interesting because they, I mean, it's, it's kind of like Eastern Europe, but rural. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, the, the trains basically links, you know, the Soviet empire from east to west. So there's a lot of nothing in Siberia except the cities that are along the train line because, you know, people took the train to, I guess it was for mining or... No, all the gulags were out in Siberia or something. So before you hop on the train, do you have in mind, like, I'm going to stop and do these things? Or are you just sort of like, I'm going to get on this thing and whatever happens is what happens? Well, because of the way Russia is, uh, it's probably the same now. But back then you had to declare, you had to get invited into the country first and usually with a sponsor letter. But the hotel in Moscow did that for me. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to declare your your arrival date and your departure date, and you have to show proof of everywhere you've been, um, all the hotels you've been for your exit. Um, in my case, I could just show all my train tickets and show that I was on, on the road. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't stay in hotels on these little cities on the way. I arranged with a tour company for homestays. So like- What's a homestay? Homestay is where you just like, you crash with, uh, at somebody's house. And they're either uh, hospitable, like in one case where I, I basically stayed with a couple of college kids in a dorm, uh-huh. <laughs> or the worst case scenario, I stayed with this old woman who was really just in it for the money, and she kind of just hated me being there. <laughs> so <laughs> she also fed me and gave me a key. <laughs> I think it's a fair trade. You know? Yeah, yeah. It kind of sounds like my grandma most of my childhood, really. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think I got a key. So you came out ahead on that. <laughs> I lost the key, though. That's so she got even more mad at me. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, she, she didn't know what she was getting into, actually. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's talk about like getting on the train in Moscow. What are your first impressions of the actual train that you're on? And just walk us through it like linear. Um, it's a... I mean, I don't feel... I feel like they haven't been updated since the Cold War. They're very... Uh, they're... I mean, they're, they're fine. They're... They're not luxurious or anything. They're basically commuter trains. They all have compartments uh, with seating for four. There's a thing on top that pulls down to a platform, which is a bed. So there's like a bunk bed. So yeah, so the, when it's it converted to a sleeper, the two sofas facing each other are one bed. And then there's like a bunk that folds over from the wall to make uh, two upper bunks. So it's, you know, seating for four and then sleeping for four. Okay, so there's a hallway and you open a door and you're in a compartment with three other people. Yes. Okay. And uh, you know, there's a hallway, there's a PA system that uh, plays really bad uh, Russian rap music. <laughs> <laughs> so the volume is always down, which is funny because there's a movie starring Keanu Reeves called Trans-Siberian. Mm -hmm which captures that moment where like, oh my God, they even got like the, the bad Russian rap in this movie. Like they totally, somebody was definitely on the train to, to add that little detail. <laughs> the location scouts got that yeah. right. <laughs> yes. So then, uh, you know, I went on different legs and uh, every every leg was, a, was like a different experience because it, it all depends on who you sit next to. So like once I had this like this quiet family, once I had uh, one couple on this old woman who basically was like my, was looking out for me because there was a, uh, I don't know if she worked on the staff, but it was someone very attractive trying to get me to buy her a drink or something. But the mother type in the compartment knew that it was a scam and told me, like over and over not to go with that woman. <laughs> oh man, I feel like I would have fallen for that for sure. Yeah, I almost I almost did and she's like she's like no, no, like uh, you know, I don't know Russian, so it's all body language, but I kind of got it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, who knows what would have happened to you then? This could yeah. be a whole different podcast. So then the craziest leg was in between Yekaterinburg and Novosibirsk um, where uh, just my luck. I, I, I had a, I was pretty lucky up until that point, and I always wondered with this other guy, this British guy that I've met. He's like, yeah, I've been pretty lucky too, but like we're bound to just like be stuck in a compartment with just like a bunch of obnoxious like drunken Russian dudes. Right. And then like right after he said that, my next leg was that. <laughs> Please tell us about that. Yeah. So it was me and uh, three middle-aged. Of very very drunk guys they got on the train already drunk um, they were doing shots after shots after shots um, they basically left me alone because I was on the upper bunk just kind of bleeding mm -hmm. um, but it's weird because like uh, not the stereotype I thought they were like Russian mafia or something because they just like one of them had three gold teeth um, they just had that look like yeah. Russian Mafia is in a Hollywood movie. Yeah, but to be fair, a lot of people in Russia look like Russian Mafia. That's, yeah, us. that's true. That's true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't know any better, right? So yeah, we don't know any better. So, like, that's in my head. Um, uh, the other way I described them was that, like, you ever watch, like, in, an 80s teen comedy where, like, the bullies are always these guys who were smoking and, like, throwing trash out the car. Yeah. Like, that was them. They would just, like, take take all their trash and just, like, open the window and just, like, throw it out the window. What the fuck? And, yeah. <laughs> they would just, like, do shots, throw trash out the window, and just, like, smoke even though smoking wasn't permitted. And so, so you're that, just on the top bunk, like, are you interacting with them or are you, like, well, in hiding? Until, I'm kind of in hiding until, you know, they start harassing me that, like, hey, like, why aren't you drinking with us? And then they kept on asking me for money. They kept on saying, uh, show rubles. <laughs> and, then I, I, uh, and then I kept on just like playing dumb tourists, like, and smiling back. Like, I, I don't know what that means, even though I know what it meant. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and they kept on just like asking me for money. They kept on, you know, doing the uh, the gesture with your fingers to signify money. Yeah, still rubles. So yeah, rubles. still rubles. Um, one of them was like, he was like the drunkest one, kept on like yelling at me. He was like, he almost poured soda down my shirt because I didn't give him money. Um, they were threatening to throw my, my backpack out the window uh, unless I gave him money. Um, at one point, he was just literally just like reaching into my pockets for money. <laughs> I had to shove him away. They are 80s cartoon villains. Like just... yes. yes, they're 80s cartoon villains. <laughs> and so what's your reaction to all this? I mean, you're shoving them away. I mean, do you actually, do you get angry or you're like, there's a lot of them? And... Well, well, yeah, there was that. I knew I was outnumbered. Um, and at first I was just, you know, continuing the, the dumb tourist thing until, the, you know, until they started to get physical. Um, and also I was wondering, like, like the drunkest guy was like, this guy is so drunk. How is he not passed out already? Because mm, he's Russian. Because uh, yeah, he's Russian, exactly. <laughs> so then, like, uh, there was so it was the big guy with the three gold teeth. There was the really drunk guy, and then there was the other guy. He was just kind of like playing along, but he was mostly on his phone the entire time. Uh-huh. And then uh, I don't, you know, it was right around the time where they're really trying to like reach into my pockets to, you know, to look for cash. And then there's a knock on the door, and it's like passport control. These two cops, they're saying they're doing, they're there for a routine passport inspection. We all give our passports. I was just happy that it was a distraction from like anything that was about to happen. Mm -hmm. The the two cops, one of them takes all of our passports. Um, he sees that I have an American passport. And he's like, "Oh, you're American. Like, you need to come with us." I'm like all right and then like at the at the time like i just wanted to leave the compartment so i'm like yeah fine uh -huh. and secretly in my head i'm like oh my god like i'm about to be part of a sting operation where we're going to take down the russian mafia with these two cops what the that's, fuck? That's, that's exactly what i was thinking that's like, where your head goes that's where my head goes like oh my god they're going to ask me to to spy on the russian mob you know i thought i was going to get a wire or something they would put a wire on me <laughs> to go back into the room. That would be awesome. That would have been awesome, see? But uh, that, that did not happen. Okay. I follow, they, like, I follow the, the two cops. I really have no choice because they have my passport. So mm -hmm. like, I don't want you know, that to leave my sight. Do you have your backpack or anything like that? My backpack's in the compartment, but I had it like uh, chained to like one of the handles in okay. the compartment. So like I knew... That like even when they were threatening to throw out the window, like it was fine because it was chained to a to a thing. Smart. Um, so I thought they were gonna bring me just like maybe to the next car. We walk like five cars away, away from everyone, to basically the caboose. And it's not an official looking police car or anything. It's just like an empty compartment. Um, hmm. They 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 tell me to sit down. They, I'm trying to think about how, like, they, they were trying to get a bribe out of me. That is basically their, their goal. So first they tried to see if I had a weapon on me. They're like, do you have a gun? I'm like, no. And so he pulls out his gun. He's like, I have a Winchester. Like, do you have a Winchester? It's <laughs> <laughs> like American gun. Like, you don't, you're from America. You don't have one of these. And he was like waving it in front of me. I was like, no, I, you know, I don't have one. I left mine at home. <laughs> yes. Um, then he does like, do you have a, and then he does like, you know, the sniffing nostril thing. Like if I had cocaine on me and I'm like, no, I don't have any cocaine. Mm -hmm. So then uh, really all they can do is hold my passport for ransom. Mm -hmm. And again, I was still trying to play dumb American tourists. Um, I knew by reading the Lonely Planet Guide that even in a city, it's a common scam for police officers who are either corrupt or not even police officers, just people dressed up as cops, to routinely ask for your passport, ask for your passport for an inspection, mm -hmm. and then it be a total scam. So, I'm like, so you're oh, you're, aware, you're like wise to what could be happening. Yes, but the guidebook says if this should ever happen. Uh, sternly asked for identification and then threatened to call the consulate. 
So then this entire time I'm like, I'm asking, like, let me see some identifications. Like, no, you don't need identification. We have no problem. Like, well, if we don't have any problem, then like, why don't we get the conductor in here and you show me some ID? Mm-hmm. And then if, you know, it goes back and forth, back and forth. And he's like, fine, you want to see my ID? And then he shows me his identification. And the thing about the Lonely Planet Guide is like, sure, they suggest that you should look for identification, but they don't tell you what it's supposed to look like. So like, I'm looking at Fucking it. Fucking travel writers. <laughs> So I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, but like, I, I actually said the words, like, isn't, isn't there supposed to be like a metal badge or something? And <laughs> he starts laughing. So then, uh, before I get to the question of, um, I want to call, you know, the, the threat to call the consulate, mm-hmm. he's already a step ahead of me because he already knows what I'm supposed to ask for. He gives me his phone without me asking. He's like, you want to call the consulate? Call the consulate in Moscow right now. <laughs> he probably read the same guidebook you yes. did. Yes, exactly. And the thing about the guidebook is, like, there's no number. Like, it, like I don't know the number off the top of my head. Right. So if somebody talk, got like, paid, like, a minuscule <laughs> amount of money yeah, to actually yeah. write that, and they probably yeah. didn't even go there. Yes. Um, so then I'm like, well, I, I have to get the number back in my room. Can I go back to my room? And it's like, no, you can't. You know, you have to stay here. Um the door to the compartment was open the entire time and that's because I made sure my leg was like in between uh, the compartment and the hallway Mm -hmm. so it would hit my leg if they were going to close it and they were conscious that I I was conscious that like I didn't want to get locked in the room right and they had noticed that I was blocking the door from being closed so they're like move your leg and like it wouldn't budge yeah Um, so I it just went back and forth um them uh, trying to get some sort of charge on me, them saying no problem. Then at one point, the conductor goes by. I'm trying to flag down the conductor. They don't want to get involved. Wow. Um, and then at one point, there's like a man and a boy walking down the hallway. In, I, I don't know what they were doing, but it was like a distraction. We all kind of looked at, at this man and boy. And that's when I see the opportunity to just like jump out of the compartment and run down the hallway. Uh-huh. So now you're sprinting down the hallway with the... Not from the hallway. But one of the cops just, like, basically grabs me, carries me, and, like, pile drives me back into the seat in the compartment. Yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, no, it didn't work. So then, uh... Are you freaking out? Like, are you oh, in a panic? I'm, uh... I'm controlled, but also... I mean, I'm also curious, like, what's going to happen next? This is like a spy movie. <laughs> Your bag is chained it's to exactly the compartment like, with the drunk Russian yep. bad guys. Yes. The the cops, quote unquote, have taken you, who at first they were going to save you, and now it looks like they're trying to murder you or mug you. Exactly. So then uh, they tell me to, you know, like, sit in the car. Um, the guy that was the talkative one, he pulls out a, uh, handcuffs. And he dangles him in front of me, like he's gonna handcuff me if, you know, if I don't, if I try to do that again. Okay. And then on the other hand, he has my passport, and he's dangling that too. It's like, what's it gonna be? Handcuffs or you know, pay me for this passport? But I'm also pay- playing dumb American tourist, like, like, how do I get my passport back? Right. Right. So then, we're awkwardly sitting there. He's looking through my passport. Uh, the other guy's on the phone, and then. Maybe 10 minutes later, the big guy with the three gold teeth from my compartment shows up out of nowhere. What the fuck? And he smiles to the cop. He gives him some cash and he gets his passport back. And then he goes away as if it was a signal like, you idiot, like, just pay the guys off and you'll get your passport back. Wow. So the bad guy (laughs) came and he knew what to do. Yes. But the thing, in retrospect, I was thinking like, oh, that third guy was on the phone and the second guy, the second cop was on the phone. They were just texting each other the entire time. Mm-hmm. So then finally I see the exchange, the money for passport. And then I'm like, all right, fine. Even though I kind of knew what was up, I was like, all right, fine. How do I get my passport back? And they just like smile. They're like, money. <laughs> okay. Well, how much money do you want? And then they were saying, um, not stow rubles, they said stow bucks. Like stow bucks, yeah. Stow bucks, like a hundred bucks. And I laugh, like, I'm, you know, I'm on a budget. I'm like, I don't want to blow a hundred dollars on this, even though I would. Mm-hmm. 
But then uh, I, I actually look back and I'm like, no, 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 no that, that's too much. And then they pulled out like a piece of paper and a pen, like like they were doing like a like a salary negotiation where they write a figure on the on the piece of paper and then they hand it, slide it down the table. Okay. So I guess they originally wrote like a hundred US and then it was crossed out and then they wrote a thousand uh, rubles, RYB. What does that translate to? Which translates to about thirty thirty four dollars. Okay. So then. I'm like, this is so dumb. Like, this is a salary negotiation now. Like, so, like, <laughs> and like, it's funny. He like, he actually slides the paper towards me after writing the figure down. Um, this is like, like a bad movie. Yeah, and then I'm like, all right, fine, that's reasonable. <laughs> and I had the cash on me. Well, he saw that I had the cash on me because at one point I had to empty all my belongings out of my pocket, and they were just like laid out on the table. So we knew that I at least had a thousand rubles on me. Why didn't they just take the thousand rubles? Why is there a negotiation? I don't know. know. Because they were just that polite. I don't know. (laughs) And when did Jean-Claude Van Damme bust through the door save you? I don't... What? Exactly. There was no Jean-Claude Van Damme. There was no... uh, I mean, even in the Keanu Reeves movie where the plot's almost kind of similar, even though there was a murder involved in the movie, um, like nobody came to save, save his ass. Um, so, so do you you like when they put a thousand rubles on the paper and slide it to you? Do you write like okay on the paper and slide it back? I should have, but I just read it. I'm like, I just looked up, up at him and I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> so then I, I I gave him a thousand rubles and he just like he's like here, no problem. Here, here's your passport back. Wow. And then I get my passport back and then I'm like, oh man, like I have to go back to the three drunk guys again. Mm-hmm. So, so I didn't even go back. I just went to the dining apartment to ride out the rest of the ride. And then here's where uh, Moscow's uh, time zone is confusing because I thought I still had like two hours to go. Uh, but really, I had five minutes left. Oh. So I'm like, oh, my God, like, I'm like, what's this town? They're like in Novosibirsk because the train's already stopping. I'm like, oh, my God, like that's where I'm getting off. I thought we had like two or three hours left. So like I had to rush back to my room, unlock my bag. Um, you're supposed to strip your your bed of your bed sheets and give them to the conductor. Um, everyone's in the hallway ready to disembark the train, and I'm like rushing back to the room. And I run into the three guys in the hallway because they're ready to get off the train. And one of them's like, "Don't worry, we put your bed. We gave your we stripped your bed already. We gave it to the conductor." I'm like, well, okay, there's there's the one saving grace for those guys. Like, they did that for me. <laughs> wow. What, so do you think, looking back on this, first of all, how long, like, did this all transpire in, like, 10 minutes, or was this a long ordeal? Uh, maybe, like, 20, 30 minutes. Okay, so it's a 20, yeah. 30-minute ordeal, and you suspect that the people in your compartment were actually in cahoots with the cops. Yes. Because there was always somebody on a phone, and like that's the only way they could have figured it out. In, in fact, like even before the cops came, I'm, I almost think that like they knew them before the passport, you know, the supposed passport control, mm-hmm. um, and they signaled to come over because like, hey, there's like a dumb American in our thing, just just come to our compartment. So looking back on this, do you think if you had drank more with them, would they have still robbed you? If I had drank with them, I would have definitely gotten robbed. So it's like a cash twenty-two. <laughs> so either way, you either way, yes. So by refusing to drink with them, you actually put yourself in a different but completely equally perilous situation. Yes. So there's just no right way it could have gone. No. The silver lining at the end of this is the homestay I stayed at in Novosibirsk was this wonderful family, and we went bowling like the next day. Okay. And so tell me about bowling in Novosibirsk. Um, Novosibirsk is like a, a cute little town. Like, um, it's weird. Like, they're, they're not unfamiliar with American culture. Mm-hmm. So um, I stayed with a ethnically Korean Russian family. There are a lot of ethnic Koreans in Siberia. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not too far, really. Yeah, it's not too far. And like, 
I don't know the history exactly, but I think a lot of uh, ethnic Koreans were enslaved by the Russians, and a lot of them ended up in Central Asia. Because like when I, when I went to um, Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, there were a lot of uh, uh, ethnic Koreans like living in those parts. And that, actually, that would make sense. I mean, I don't yeah. know the history of that either. I'm embarrassed yeah. to admit, but yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Because I remember on a separate trip, I was in Uzbekistan with a friend of a friend. Um, he was like Middle Eastern looking, but his wife was very Korean looking. Mm -hmm. And we had Korean food for like dinner. Mm -hmm. It's always a plus if you can run into Korean yeah. food on the road. Like you, <laughs> no. you know, that'll, that'll make any shakedown better, in my opinion. Exactly, exactly. So I also know that when you look at the Trans-Siberian Railway, you could theoretically, if you had the clearances, go from Moscow to Pyongyang. Yes. I mean, at, at a certain point, um, it's actually different railways. Like, Trans-Siberian Railway is like the big uh, encompassing term for just all the railways over there. Mm -hmm. But to get to Beijing at, at I think, Ulan Ude, I actually hop on the Trans-Mongolian um, to head uh, southeast. Now that's a train yeah. I want to take. Yeah, so then I end up, I guess, oh, and it's weird because at a certain point, the because of the several wars that have happened, the train tracks are different widths. Mm -hmm. So at a certain point, you wait in a train station for them to swap out the wheels of all the cars so that it can go on the tracks of the next system. So then... Is this in Russia or Mongolia? This is, like, right on the border. Okay. So then when I'm basically on the same train in Siberia, but it's heading into Mongolia, um, at a certain point you wait, like, two hours while they swap all the wheels out so that the widths fit the, the tracks of the, of the new system. It's pretty practical in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how hard is a train wheel to... I mean, we all had, like, toy trains as kids, I think. You could just kind of pop the wheels on and off. I bet it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they, they they lift them up with a crane or something, and they just like they just move them. It's like some bolts, and then yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. so every time we do an episode that goes through Russia, we we've done Dyatlov Pass, which was entirely in Russia, I believe, and then we had an mm -hmm. episode which was mainly in Mongolia, but it's sort of like on that Siberia Mongolia border. Yeah. Um, every time we do one. Uh, <laughs> I have a tendency to think, like, let's break down the stereotypes of this place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then talking to you before this show, I'm like, well, that is the stereotype. I mean, but this is something that happened to you. You got shook down by these guys with gold teeth and, like, yeah. uh, like leather jackets. And, yeah. You know, like, straight yeah, out of, exactly. like, basically, like, Russian Biff from Back to the Future. Yes, it was Russian. It was Russian Biff. Exactly. He even had, like, the receding hairline a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> So, so Russian Biff shakes you down, yeah. and then yeah. he's got his buddies, and it's like, no, they probably like put your cop costumes on. Then they got him in a backpack yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and there you go. But what's the lesson from that? Just play along, or do you think your actions by jamming the door, by running away, by not cooperating, do you think that that helped you in the sense that they probably got tired of dealing with you? Um, I, I definitely the leg in the door, um, cause who, like, there's no way anyone, like if, if they lock the door, there's no one, there's no way like, even a conductor could get in because if they are legitimate cops, then like the cops like supersede, you know, they have the power anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know if they, yes, they waved a gun at me. I don't know if they would have shot me, but who knows? Um, yeah, the lesson learned is uh, kind of just like, if anything, it was go with the flow, which is the philosophy I normally have. And in this case, the flow was very turbulent. But um, I mean, I, I I ended up out the other side. So yeah, I guess it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you feel like this experience seasoned you a little more as a traveler? This is early on in, in your sort of travel career, but later on did you run into experiences on the road that you look back you're like well i made it through that yeah this it's this um the mugging in cape town um i mean i've i've been airlifted off of 
off the Everest Trail for altitude sickness. Oh yeah, um, we I neglected that in the intro. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like you know they say like whatever you live through makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely that, and it's funny like being in the uh, kind of the the press trip uh, racket that we're in. Like a lot of it's like safe. Yeah. It's, it's very like hold your hand. Yeah, we're taking you, which is a contrast to your backpacking and the sold outside expeditions that I do, which are yeah. often are backpacking too. Because like, you know, not like this podcast is making millions, people. Not yet. Right. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Like you go from this world where like you are in charge of your destiny and safety yeah. and accommodations to a press trip where literally we show up at a Caribbean island and they're like. By the way, here's a special phone. Yeah. And its only job is to call your butlers. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And so like you and I are like, what do I don't know what to do with a butler? Like this whole situation feels weird. Yeah. And then you feel bad for the butlers. That's that's kind of why I'm like, well, let me humanize them by like interviewing them and try to make a piece out of it. Yeah, they were all like really cool and like I don't know. I tried like you to get to know people and say what's your life like outside of this and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And you learned that, you know, Jim was one of my butlers and GM, she was going to take the next day off to spend it with her eight year old daughter. Yeah. And it was like very apologetic. Oh, I'm sorry. I won't be here. I'm like, you kidding me? Oh, Go You're hang just, out with your daughter. Like that's yeah, way more important bad. than my dumbass. <laughs> I don't need you to drive me across in a golf cart. Like it's also not that big and we can just walk. We can just walk. And like last week, by the way, I was camping in a tent in Montana and a bear was sniffing me at night. So wow. these are the things going on. And you're like, well, at least I'm not getting airlifted off Everest this time. Right. Well, the th- it's funny. The thing about the whole um, Arctic evacuation was, yes, that was like an adventure cruise company doing it. Um, Everyone asks me, like, after the fact, like, well, what it, were you afraid of everything? Of what was going to happen? And I say, I was only afraid at one point when the doctor in Iqaluit said that none of the drugs are working and your liver is failing. That's when shit got real. Mm-hmm. But then other than that, like, I was actually really excited. I was like, oh, my God, like, all these, like, press trips are very catered and you kind of know what's going to happen already. Like... Finally, I'm back on a on an adventure where I actually don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, you don't have an itinerary for your liver yeah. failing. Like that's yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a thing. And but didn't you chronicle all that on your Instagram too? Like people yes. can watch. So and you- it's also uh, compiled in an easier easier to read way on ericktrinidad.com. There's a link on the top saying, "What does it say?" It's E-R-I-K-T-R-I-N-I-D-A-D.com. And on top, there's a link to how I got a tropical infection in the Arctic Circle. God, that's a great story angle. I can't believe that. that that's something that our good friends at Nat Geo should have bought. Right, right. It was supposed to be in Newsweek, and then uh, COVID hit, and then all medical stories were about that, that other virus. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, so as we kind of like put a wrap on this Trans-Siberian Railway episode. Uh, did you go back to Russia since then? Have you been back? Um, I have on a press trip. It was uh, one of the, I think uh, we were talking about this. It was one of the examples of one of the, one of the most awkward, worst press trips. Well, press trip moments. The press trip was fine. It was, ah, yes. <laughs> when uh, we ended up after a day in St. Petersburg, going to a tiny farm-to-table restaurant in Helsinki, um, where two journalists basically had a shouting contest, which brought the entire city of Helsinki down. <laughs> yeah, and that'll happen. That'll happen, yeah. folks. It's not always roses out there, you know. Yeah. You get lucky on some trips, and some sometimes people don't mix. Yeah. But then uh, the time that we did spend in uh, St. Petersburg, the point of going to St. Petersburg was to show that while Russia has a bunch of crazy visa requirements, they don't if you take the commuter ferry from Helsinki and you spend 48 hours or less in St. Petersburg, which is what we did. But that being said, it was the the, the Hermitage Museum with the Fabergé eggs. Mm-hmm. It was like the big to big to do in St. Petersburg. 
they're closed on Tuesdays and we were there on a Tuesday, so we never saw them. Yeah, so you missed the whole thing. Yes, um, yes. The Trans-Siberian Railway, is that an experience that you would ever try again? Um, yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But a lot, a lot of times there are experiences that I want to say one and done because you want that the one memory you, you have to be the memory. Yeah, that's true. Although in this case, like, you know, yeah, for good or for worse, like I, I have a, I have a story to tell. So if I if I take the Trans Siberian again and nothing happens, then I'm always still gonna have that first story. <laughs> exactly, it's a great story, Eric, and I'm so thankful that you took time today to join us on the show. Um, everybody, make sure to give him a follow. The Global Trip on Instagram. He's a great yeah. follow, Eric. It's really good about making videos on the road. Um, it's not just static pictures like you'll get with mine. Uh, actually, really, really cool content where you get to see sort of from a firsthand perspective what it's like to live that life of an adventurer and a, a travel writer. Yeah. And, uh, fun. All right. Hey, man, thanks a lot. We appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks, Joe. The Get Lost Podcast is a production of Sold Outside Exploration Company. Follow us on Instagram at Get Lost Podcast for prizes, contests, and cool gifts from our guests.